I often say, you know, people think that they're bad at sales, something that comes up a lot, or like that the sales conversation is different than a conversation with a friend, but it's actually the same conversation that you have, like convincing your friend to go to a movie with you or convincing your kid to eat their vegetables or convincing your spouse to go on a vacation or whatever it you're using the same formula of persuading them the only difference is that you don't know what's going to persuade the person yet so the sales conversation includes questions this is outside sales talk the best podcast for outside salespeople. i'm your host steve benson and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today we have Alicia Barr with us and she's going to talk about the secret art of subtle selling. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm so excited to be here. Well, and, and by way of introduction, Alicia is a sales expert known for showing people the secret art of subtle selling. She transitioned from a successful corporate career in outside sales to coaching solopreneurs and sales teams with her unique sales approach that regularly doubles and triples their results. Alicia's here to help, bring, help people bring humanity back to sales and make a killing doing it. Really excited to have you on the show here, Alicia. Um, let's jump into it. First, uh, can you give us a brief overview of what subtle selling is all about? Yeah, so, you know, I like to think that subtle selling is timeless, but there's definitely been some eras in sales and just like marketing, people become a little desensitized to them or more savvy, right? So the older tactics don't work as well. And subtle selling is just avoiding those tactics and weaving it into a more natural conversation exchange um, during parts of the conversation where the person is not expecting you to be selling so that they don't even really notice that you're selling them. Okay. Well, that makes a ton of sense to me. What, what are some things that salespeople miss out on when they're uh, more pushy with prospects or customers, when they're not subtle about things? I think they lose trust. So the thing about subtle selling is, um, Whenever you say have certain sales language or tactics that people know, their red flags go up in their brain that make them not absorb what you're saying. They automatically think that you're probably embellishing or selling and they're not really listening. Um, and they're definitely like, oh, this person is selling me. So there's trust loss there. Um, and nobody buys from anyone that they don't trust. Like that's pretty much why you buy from someone is you trust what they're saying. Sure. And when, when are those times that you can be subtle that are outside of the, the actual sales pitch or when outside of when you're actually uh, sitting down to discuss the sale that, and, and the stuff that you're, is, is germane to kind of the business part of your meeting? What are some other great times and, and how do you kind of subtly work in the sale into those times? Yeah, I found the best time to do it is really during the discovery period when you're asking questions. So based on their answer, you can empathize with them, which is important, um, and then offer a little something about what you do that solves whatever their answer was. So like, for example, if you're an agency and you ask somebody, 
a business owner, you know, what have you done in the past? Like what was your experience with agencies if you've worked with them before? And they say, oh, the communication is always pretty awful. Um, like all we do is get a report once a month or, you know, this is a common complaint, right? So empathizing and saying, yes, we hear that a lot. It's really frustrating when you are paying someone and it feels like they're really slow to adjust things based on results. And that's why we have, um, actually we have weekly meetings to make sure that that doesn't happen. So it's like, and then you go to the next question. So it's like sliding it in while their defenses are down. Okay. And I, and I love what you did there. I mean, people talk about empathy all the time, especially in, in a post-corona world here. I feel like that's one of the, in, in the world of sales, that's, we, we, we hear about it a lot. And, but there's so much more to it than just seeing things from other people's perspective. And I, and I, I think it's, it's subtle what you just did right there. But tell me about how you use empathy in these situations and, and how, how you just did that and kind of what is the formula for, for uh, I guess, first, what empathy, what does empathy mean to you? And, and what is the formula for how you, you really used it right there? Yeah, so I do something that I call authoritative empathy. So some people can empathize too much where they're just like, that is so hard. I am so sorry. That is really tough. And it's like, well, now I just feel like shit. Like, I, you know, like, <laughs> but it's more like, yeah, um, I've been there. Like, I know what you're talking about. I've heard this before. Um, type of thing. And if you can provide a little bit of insight that even clarifies their feeling a little further, then they feel even more understood by you. So when people feel understood, they feel like you understand how to solve their problem. So um, like, for example, someone who is talking to a dating coach and uh, they're, they're talking about how they've been lonely and they explain some things and they're like, yeah, that's really hard. And sometimes it can feel like you're never going to meet someone and like, is this my life? It's a permanent life sentence, but it's not. And, and um, we've worked with a lot of people in your exact situation. There's not uh, any red flags that tell me that there's a reason that this could not be solved. And um, all you need to do is really come up with some actions you could implement, not just talk therapy like other things, but action steps to correct this. It's just replacing negative behavior patterns. And that's why it's the first thing we focus on in our program is addressing your negative behavior patterns. So tell me what has your relationship history been like before? So you like go on to the next question. So, but that little bit of insight, they're like, yeah, it does feel like I might be alone forever. Like that's a very basic example, but mm -hmm. being able to provide that extra layer. So you're not just parroting back what they said, which is a common sales technique, really makes them feel like it's not fake empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not just, yeah, it's not just like, I get it, I get it. It's, I get it. And, you know, here's a bit of wisdom about that. And here's what we can do next. And then you offer, then you ask the next question to kind of further the discussion. If I, if I were to formulatize it, I guess. Yes, exactly. Authoritative empathy, how we address it, and the authoritative part is like just bringing them to the other side of that. So instead of living in this painful experience that happened, let's address that it sucked. And, and now it's not going to suck. Yay! <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and what are some of your tips? I mean, a lot of this obviously has to do with listening, right? Like, you know, before you can empathize, you have to have listened and really understood your prospect and what they're saying. What, what are your tips for better listening? And uh, when, when you're meeting with prospects, really getting what, not, getting what they're truly saying? 
I think it is so important to pay attention to facial expressions and tone of voice and to clarify because there's a lot more to be said for what they're not saying. So like also paying attention to their language. So a lot of people will just brush past when someone's like, you're like, yeah, does that sound like, um, you know, it would be helpful for what you're going through? Yeah. yeah okay, great. <laughs> yeah, but they're saying yes. And then they just like blow past it. And they're like, great. <laughs> Instead of being like, well, it sounds like there's some hesitation. Like what's, what's going on? Is there a piece of it you, you feel is missing and digging into that further. So being able to hear and see on their face, like, and if they're not being weird, if they're like, actually, I just was holding in a sneeze. And so I was making a weird face and you're like, Oh, okay, great. Let's like move on. Um, right. but they're not like offended that you're trying to dig in further. I think a lot of times people feel like, uh, if they're trying to clarify, it's pushy or something, mm -hmm. but it, it's actually usually pretty appreciated by the other person because you genuinely care about understanding what their needs are. And when you understand someone's needs and you've listened to them and you've provided value by advancing the conversation with authoritative empathy, that all builds a ton of rapport. Um, what, what else would you say are some, some, some suggestions you would have in, in, from the subtle selling perspective about how you can better build rapport with customers? Yeah. So, I mean, trust rapport specifically is really good for trust building. So like, having that relationship where like, I'm a human, you're a human, we're here trying to solve a problem for you. Um, I'm not like a gross salesperson trying to sell you, take your money, you know, and, and you're not just this person that I want money from. Like you have a life and a mother, brother, sister, father, kids, whatever, hobbies, like being able to relate in that way that is beyond why y'all are coming together builds so much trust. But another thing that makes a big difference in subtle selling is being able to ask, and I know that this, I don't think this is a novel concept, but asking them questions that allow them to sell themselves. So not like makes sense. Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. Like that concept that like, if they say yes enough times, then they'll say yes at the end. I'm talking about like, if somebody says, um, well, how do I know if I give you this one investment fee that I'm going to get, that y'all will be dedicated to supporting me forever. You've already got my money. The normal salesperson would probably overcome that with like some explanation about support calls or something. But instead I would ask, have you had a situation where you paid one time and didn't get support? And if they're like, yeah, then you're like, well, what was the situation? And you dig into it and then you can compare it to you and how it's different. So in that way, they are coming up with like, yeah, that is different, like themselves, as you ask questions um, to them so that they, does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah, you're totally making sense. I mean, I, I think that's that's a that answers the question wonderfully. I mean, right, rapport is just so important, and I think answering people's questions is a key piece of it. And you know, I think also the you know the, the all the things around the meeting, like you were talking about before, uh, that that subtly build rapport as well, right? Like outside of the meeting and before, when you know, when you walk in the door, the impression you're making, things like that. Um, getting coffee before the meeting, all these things, you know, you, know, you can leverage to build rapport um, in general. Do you, do you have any other thoughts about rapport 
um, with subtle selling? I feel like this is a, a key piece of, of what you're doing and what you're talking about. I think it's really important to understand, and a lot of times it's easy to forget, that this person has, has had a day. They've had a day before you got there, and they've got stuff to do after you leave. You are just a part of it. And you might not even be a part that they're looking forward to. And it's not personal. They might have had a bad day. They might have had a good day. So being um, sensitive to that, and I think that, like, overall, people remember how you, there's that Maya Angelou quote, right? They don't remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. So they associate a feeling with their, their meeting with you. So whether they've had a bad or good day, if you can make them feel good and happy and hopeful so that when they leave that meeting, they're like, man, ready to get this day. They're going to want to work with you more. So yeah, it makes a ton yeah. of sense. I mean, people, people do business with the people they like, you know, in, in the end. I mean, I think that's, that's uh, a lesson that, it, that seems so obvious, but, so many of our actions in the modern world, uh, almost if, if you examine them, examine them, you would think that we forgot that in many, in many cases, I think. Yeah, it's so easy to be like, don't they understand that this thing I'm selling them is going to like change their life? But then you back up and you're like, look, I know that you have a lot on your plate. I mean, like, did you already have five meetings this morning? Yeah, I had a lot of meetings this morning. That's hard. Do you want to take a break? Do you want to like have a break, a YouTube video break and then we can get back to it? Like that kind of empathy and understanding of somebody and how you're not the center of their world and that's fine. Um, and how can I help you in spite of all the other things you have going on is so appreciated and, and refreshing, you know? Yeah, it's been interesting to see over the course of my career how much less people do this sort of stuff, you know, like I feel like a lot more business got done on the golf course or over dinner or, you know, getting drinks or at some, we, we, used, we early in my career, we just used to do a lot of activities with our customers and do stuff, you know, whether it was, yeah. and, and uh, you know, it wasn't just a quick lunch. It was like, yeah, we'd go out to steak dinner and, you know, have four cocktails. And, uh, and, and I think that a lot of this is changing in, in the world that we're in today too. And as, you know, as a data point for people, it's like, you know, the right. middle of the coronavirus crisis for if you, should you be listening to this in late 2021 or something, yeah. <laughs> hopefully 2020 is, a, is in the distant rear view mirror for you at this point. And but, you're like, whoo, thank God that's over. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, but I, I think especially in these times, like where we lost a lot of the ways that we can empathize, that we can, um, be subtle, have, have the opportunities to have these subtle interactions with people. We can listen to them and we can kind of, you, you, you can't just chill and hang out in a Zoom meeting with someone. That'd be weird. But you could like, you know, if you're going out to get dinner or drinks, you can talk about, you, most of the time you're going to be talking about other things. You're not going to be talking about the business part of the business. Yeah. The relationship building piece of it. I mean, one of the things that I really like in this post-corona period is I think that people are interesting just naturally and fun and everyone's got diverse stories and quirks. So I always like to find something that I can sort of learn from them in the beginning as a way to establish rapport. Like, Ooh, I've never done that. Like, what's it like? Like, you know, even like, what's your view? I'm looking at this right now. I'm looking at the ocean, man, that's nice. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like some kind of conversation that's beyond that's, that's beyond deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, 
We, I've heard you talk about a cool thing you do when pitching, a, a technique you call bite-sized selling. Could you tell me, uh, t- tell, tell me and our listeners a little bit about bite-sized selling? What is it? How do you use it? Where is it useful? Talk to us about this method. Yeah, so it kind of, it goes with what I was talking about earlier, where when you get to the pitch part, like where you have a sales monologue, basically, the person's defenses go up. Like you can visually see it or hear it if you're on the phone, where, you know, you ask the questions and they're engaged and then you're like, okay, well, let me pitch you on my thing. And they're like, ah, and they lean back and they're like, okay, here it comes, come on, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're they're not going to absorb it the same as if you were like giving them little pieces and then asking them questions about each piece. So being able to be like, yeah. So one of the things that really differentiates us is that we have four you know, live phone calls that you can tune into at any time uh, for any support that you need, like forever. So does that seem like it would be helpful for you and different from what you've experienced before? Yeah. Yeah, it would. And there can be like some conversation about that point, you know? So at no point do they feel like they're just laying back, tuning you out. Mm -hmm. So bite-sized selling in essence is bringing up one point at a time and getting feedback from them. So you're, you're keeping them engaged rather than running through your five bullet points, bring up the bullet point, ask, ask if that'd be useful for them and get, get a response. Yeah, something beyond makes sense because people can still tune out and say, yeah, makes sense. And then they don't have any idea what happened at the end of the conversation. Gotcha. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. That would really be much more engaging. Uh, Yeah, I feel like they absorb it better. It's also a bite-sized selling during the discovery period. Like I was talking about before, where you do empathy and then a little thing. So the more times that they hear these little points that solve whatever is specifically painful for them, the more they remember it. So, I mean, ideally you want your prospect to leave the sales conversation remembering as much as possible. Because if you think about it, how many times have you had a sales conversation? And if you thought about like, if that person had to tell their higher up or their spouse or something about it, like what would they say? It would be a, a terrible game of telephone. Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's a challenge. I think a lot of salespeople need to keep in mind especially in these in these times when maybe you're not getting everyone into the room that the way you'd like to is a lot of times you're you're enabling the person that you're selling to who kind of already believes in the thing that you're talking about a lot of the time but they need to go and they need to turn around and go and sell it to the rest of their organization and this was true in pre-corona times but in in these times that's i think it's often even more true so in giving them the tools that to go have those conversations walking them through things in such a way that they can, ha- and, and giving them a, a leave behind that they can then go and walk someone else through something in, in, this, in the same clean way, um, I think is really important. Yeah, and when you ask questions it, it, that aren't just like trigger yeses, they have to actually think about what you said to answer honestly. And sometimes you'll even hear them be like, mm, wait, can you repeat that? Because they were tuning you out. Yeah. So true. So true. Um, What about objections? How can salespeople tackle objections using subtle selling? How does that play a a part here? Yeah. So again, I mean, I know 
I kind of said this earlier, like, I really think that whenever somebody has an objection, they immediately have a red flag that, that goes up in their brain. They're expecting you to overcome it. They're like half gonna, be, gonna half believe whatever you say because they think you're just gonna make it sound as good as possible and dismiss it. So having a pattern interrupt there um, and not doing that, but instead asking them a question that uncovers more of the objection because the truth is a lot of times we just assume why people are asking things. So for example, if somebody was like, well, I mean, how much time, like I'm concerned that it's, I'm going to be spending a lot of time on this. And somebody might be like, well, it's really just, beep, 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 beep. but instead be like, well, how much time do you have? You know? And like, what does that look like? Like how much time are you looking for? Like, and that makes it a conversation about the objection and they don't have a guard up about selling. Yeah, that, that's, that, that is subtle. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, are, are there any specific words or phrases that salespeople should avoid so that they don't come off pushy and so that they can kind of stay in this subtle zone? So I, I'm a little controversial in this area. Um, but I think that the most successful sales conversation is that at the end, the person doesn't even know, like forgot that they were on a sales call and they thought they were just talking to somebody who was helping them like in an appointment too, uh, like a face-to-face -face outside sales appointment. So saying things like, like the pre-contract, pre-selling the contract or whatever, like, Hey, I'm going to ask you some questions and then you're going to ask me some questions and then we'll see if it's a fit. I feel like that just makes everybody feel like we're having a sales conversation and yeah. it's like kind of unnecessary because honestly, like that's how every conversation goes. Why would this conversation be any, this sales conversation be any different? It's just like letting them know, like, by the way, I'm going to sell you something. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I like to just start going into questions, have some rapport and then ask them about their situation so that there's never really like this establishment of, Hey, here's a sales combo that we're about to have. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that is really, really rough is when someone's, uh, is that whole, um, where are you on this on a scale of one to 10? Have you heard that? Sure, sure. Anything that takes people's temperatures and tries to, you know, get them to give up or, or explain kind of where their heads are at right now at the beginning of a conversation or that sort of thing. Yeah, or even at the end of a conversation. I think that those feel like so much like selling. So there are other ways of, of asking the same question. It's like, so what's your timeline for this? Like, do you need to get this done soon? Is there a rush on it? Is there, a, you know? Yeah. And then there's also other things you can ask, like, you know, does this sound like something that your boss is looking for? If you're having to have that conversation or that, you know, chief of marketing would like. Like those are going to give you a better answer than where are you on a scale of one to 10? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've always done that I've found really helpful is I try to talk to prospects and clients as if they were like, you know, my, it's my, it's my friend's company and I'm just kind of being brought in as a consultant because I know a lot about this thing. And so talk to them in a way that is very collegial and friendly um, as if, as if we were already had some kind of outside relationship and I actually didn't have any skin in the game and I was just kind of an expert in something. And I'm, so I'm kind of filling them in and, 
and I don't have a, a horse in the race either way. And, and just kind of, if you, by keeping it casual and having a, like a, making it very conversational, I think it, it makes, I think it does what you're talking about doing where you're like, you're, you're removing kind of the salesy language and, and you're just able to sit down and try to help solve someone's problem. And, and, and it's an area that you know a lot about. So, you know, uh, when, when they ask questions, you can answer them, but it, it's, uh, I, I've, I've always liked to try to keep it as if we were colleagues or friends as opposed to a sales relationship. I could not agree more. And I often say, you know, people think that they're bad at sales, something that comes up a lot, or like that the sales conversation is different than a conversation with a friend, but it's actually the same conversation that you have, like convincing your friend to go to a movie with you or convincing your kid to eat their vegetables or convincing your spouse to go on a vacation or whatever it you're using the same formula of persuading them the only difference is that you don't know what's going to persuade the person yet so the sales conversation includes questions yeah absolutely um yeah that that uh i, I remember i remember getting uh, getting in trouble at one of my earlier sales jobs for for behaving that way they're like you got to stick to the script you've got to go through the, each slide in order because what the marketing team figured out this is the best order. And I was like, I'm sure it's the best order, but it's better if uh, I put up the slides and then we just all hang out and talk. And if, if I have to jump to us, if, if there's a good, if there's a slide that will, will, will show what I'm talking about really well, I'm like, Oh, actually there's a slide about this. Hold on. Let me jump to it. And, and I, I, I might end up getting through all the slides, but I would kind of do it as, as they came up in conversation or, and I would just keep it really casual. And, and, in in general, I think that resonated with people because it just felt more consultative or it felt like we were on the same side of the table. Yeah, like um, we're on the same team. Like what's going on? It, like I think what a lot of people uh, feel like they have to do is cover every single element of what they offer, but not every single element is going to apply mm -hmm. to this person. So what you're talking about is basically customizing it to them. Like, oh, so what do you need to know about? Oh, here, let's focus on this. And then all the other stuff is just kind of like a nice bonus, but it's not something you need to be like, okay, check that box, check that box. Cause you have like a limited attention span with somebody. So you really want to focus on the things that matter to them. Like what if you waste it talking about all this other stuff that like marketing or whatever said you had to cover, but you didn't. And just that whole concept in general of like, you have to do it this way. If I'm selling, why do you care? <laughs> Like let the numbers, like whatever, that's how I am. Whatever sells, as long as it's ethical, do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about, what about closing deals? Um, you mentioned some talk paths to avoid, but what should you do to shift the deal, shift, shift things towards a closure conversation uh, while not being pushy, but being subtle? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really big into like what I like to call selling hope. So it's like, okay, this is where you've been or what you're stuck in. And now this is what it's going to be like. So you're painting like, you know, this is how we work with our clients. So eventually you'll, you know, usually you'll see results in the first two weeks or it takes two weeks on board and then you'll start seeing results by four weeks. Um, you'll probably need to hire extra staff at three months, like making it sound like they are, it's already happening to them. I guess it's kind of like an assumptive, 
assumptive clothes in a way and mm -hmm. like getting really excited about it. Like it's just such, it is such a relief to have this software managing this for you. It's going to clear up so much time in your day. I mean, what, what can you imagine what you're going to do? Like how much are you spending on this stuff without software? Eh, maybe two hours a day. Like, what would you do with the two hours a day? Oh, well, I do this. Doesn't that sound so much more enjoyable? <laughs> like, I mean, let's just be real here. Like, do you, which one would you rather be doing? Um, you know, and just like getting excited about it to the point where you're like, all right, let's do this. Like, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm so excited. Yeah. So, uh, and, and then it closes itself kind of naturally. If you've put them in the headspace of having it, they agree with the value proposition and they, they want to get to that place. I mean, then, okay. Well, I, so what's the next step? Well, you sign right here on this dotted line. They usually <laughs> end up asking you. Mm -hmm. And if they're not asking you, it's like, well, what's your timeline on this? Like, should we, should we celebrate now? Like, cause your life's about to change <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> I like it. What, what about setbacks? What if, how should a salespeople, how should salespeople re react or what should they do when they experience a setback in a, uh, in a, in a sales situation while still st staying within this subtle framework? Like what, what's an example of that? Well, uh, like, uh, let's just say that in this closing conversation, you're talking about like, so are we going to, should we start celebrating? They're like, ah, you know, ah, we're going to have to wait a little while on this, you know, because the CFO told me that we're not going to be able to spend any money until next summer because of coronavirus. That's probably a common objection people are hearing yeah. a lot right now. You're so right. What, how do you stay subtle but overcome an objection like that um you know a setback like that yeah so i think it's really just about like understanding it more and one of the things that i really like to bring up is like okay um so what are you going to do in the meantime to solve this issue um is there like an alternative plan in place and there might be a way that you could just offer like a portion or a piece of what you do instead um based on what their needs are because a lot of times they don't have an alternative plan i mean and if they were just to be like i mean we have this other thing that is doing an okay job like what's missing from this other thing i mean hopefully you would have uncovered all of this stuff in the conversation you know mm -hmm. but if you haven't i think it's just about understanding it further and having a conversation about it so that it doesn't feel like you're trying to push or sell you're trying to understand and help like as long as you're coming from a genuinely helpful place, I've never found someone to be irritated. Well, the next section is sales in 60 seconds. So quick questions, quick answers. Uh, first of all, Alicia, what's the number one key to differentiating yourself from your competitors? Um, so I really like to empower someone with the questions that they should ask competitors. I don't like to trash talk any of my competitors, but I like to say like, if you're talking to other people, you know, these are the things you want to make sure and, and, that you have covered because if not, you know, those are the things we do because if not, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Great advice. Thanks. Um, that's always the first thing I, I, whenever a competitor comes up, I tell my salespeople, just, just ask the customer if they've seen their mobile app. Have you seen their mobile app? Have you used it? You should yeah. check that out. You should really check that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you've like ours you... and you've used theirs, that, 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 that'd be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> just go try to use it. <laughs> It'll answer all your questions. You know, like <laughs> you'll have all you need to know. 
if you get this information from the competitor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to like throw someone under the bus without actually having to, to throw them under the bus. You're like, just go use their product a little bit. See, let me know what you think. I'd be really interested to hear what you think. <laughs> you can say things like, I mean, often um, one of the frustrations will be that they don't have a text notification option or whatever, you know, like you can say like, in, in more of like a general sense, like yeah. a lot of issues that people have with the other kinds is, is this or something mm -hmm. like that. A lot of, a lot of customers tell me uh, after they've switched to us that the key difference, the key thing, reason that they really made that's the switch was X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, and that's like the perfect stuff to ask somebody like why, you know, you want to check that the other thing has X, Y, Z and then they go check and they're like, it doesn't. <laughs> So it kind of answers it for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what tips do you have for a sales rep to become customer ready before each meeting? What's the, what's the prep work? Well, it depends on what they're having a meeting about. Um, if you're meeting with a business, I think it's really important to know something about the business before you go in and be able to comment genuinely on it. Like look at their website. If you ask them a question that's on their website, or like they're about information, that's just really annoying. Like you do not care at all. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think it's also important to kind of like you said, put yourself in the frame of mind that like, this is not about me. This is entirely about them. Like, let me really understand the problem because once you really understand it and it is something you can solve, the selling just naturally happens because you literally have the solution. So it's um, just really like focusing on the other person and putting like, I have to pay bills, I have to hit goal or whatever, completely out of your mind. And like relax and remember that this is just a, a human, like a person who, like I was saying, had a day, didn't have a day, has hobbies. Another interesting one is like, I love to know what people ate. Like if they're like, yeah, I just had breakfast, what'd you have? I think it's so interesting. That's a good way to connect with people too. I mean, that, that's cool. It's a good way to get the a conversation started, especially a lot, especially if it's breakfast time. People people have their own little routines for breakfast, you know. Totally. Or lunch. What do you have for lunch? Like, um, I just think it's it's super interesting. And then you know, gets into a conversation about like, what's your go-to? Mm -hmm. Everyone's got different go-tos. I have a buddy that eats like a cheese and bagel sandwich every single day for lunch, and like he's rich and a big, like you know, an executive at a big company, like but bagel and cheese sandwich and like a cup of coffee or something. I forget. That sounds so sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, really? A bagel and cheese? <laughs> Come on, man. Get some, I, get some Uber Eats up in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, honestly, like that sounds like it would make me tired afterwards. Well, yeah, he, he, it's like Trader, it's like a brick of Trader Joe's cheese and like a bag of bagels and he buys it like every Sunday and then he eats it all week. I'm like, this is horrifying, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be, it would be very interesting to be at a sales meeting with him and ask him that and, fi and find, find that out. <laughs> and be like, really, what got you started on? Is that like a nostalgic thing? Like you, you did just it. Love bagels and cheese. Well, he's from, <laughs> yeah. He is from Wisconsin. So, you know, the, the cheese, the cheese is a little nostalgic for him, I suspect, but I yeah. know. A good buddy of mine from college, so we went to college together in Wisconsin, and they're, they the rumors are true. They eat a lot of cheese in Wisconsin. <laughs> Stereotype is legit. <laughs> I I still eat a lot of cheese. Just from growing up in the Midwest, people are like you're eating a lot of cheese. I'm like I'm gonna die of a heart attack. It's sad, yeah. but it's gonna happen. I mean, cheese is super delicious. <laughs> like it is. 
I always think it's very strange when people don't like cheese. And my daughter naturally doesn't like cheese. She's, she's not even two, yeah. but any cheese in front of her, she's like, she will spit it out. If it's part of something, she takes it out and eats the rest. Oh, wow. It's like very intense. Well, this proves that this is a good question to ask people about what Yeah, look at this. This is what I'm talking about. This These is little we're just things. talking about food. You, re- <laughs> you relate as just people. We're just people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, just humans doing human things. Um, can you name one essential habit or trait that you think will lead to greater success in sales? Um, I think that if you genuinely come from a helpful place, it is going to help you succeed in sales. And I think also finding something interesting or fun in every conversation that you have. One pitfall that I notice with a lot of salespeople is they get complacent because they're having a very repetitive conversation. And you have to remember that the, it's not repetitive for the other person. So they just feel like you're super disinterested in what's going on in their life and uh, are not interested in, in really moving forward with you because of that. So I think, you know, the more fun and, and variety and diverse you can keep it. Uh, and then also like just really trying to come from a place of how can I help you solve this? You're always yeah. going to be. I think this is so important, especially in, in, in these times, like if you, if you, when it's so easy, especially if you're talking over the phone to customers to just, it feels like you've had the same conversation a thousand times in the same way. And I think it, that's some, that's that's one great thing about face-to-face interactions is they're always new and it's very human. But I think Zoom calls and and phone calls you can really feel they they can all start to feel the same, you know. Yeah, and it's boring for the salesperson. Not only does it not equal sales, it's also just like unenjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Here I am demoing the same thing for the thousandth time. We're talking about <laughs> the same stuff. For the thousandth, thousandth time from, you know, this room that I work in. <laughs> right. It's, uh, the, these are, the, the, it's definitely, it's, it's important to keep your energy up and to keep excited and keep it, you know, don't act like this is the thousandth time you've had the conversation. I think that's, that's important and, and hard to do. Because if you, well, your energy is like everything on sales. Like people definitely feel it. Um, to the point where I personally recommend, like some people are like doing sales calls during burnout, thinking that they're going to get better numbers, but usually it's the opposite. Like you're wasting all of your time and you will sell so much more if you just take a moment and recharge. Um, but then also like when you're bored with a conversation, you get lazy and you don't mention things that you should, you don't dig where you should. You're just kind of complacent and, and lazy. And you fall into a rut rather than answering questions. You just kind of often, I think, go into your sales pitch and it's almost automatic. And it's more important to make it a conversation, which is easier if you're showing up in someone's office, sitting down in a new place. Like it, 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 uh, and the, the transition I think there is easier. So it's, 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 if things are over the phone or over zoom, it's important to, to, to keep that energy high on that. What, what's one thing that you share in every sales training? Hmm. I really like to tell people that they don't have to do things a certain way. If they're doing something that doesn't feel good to them, the prospect can feel that. 
if it doesn't feel good to you, it doesn't feel good to the other person. If it does, the other person feels that. So like, look back at your process and the things that you feel like you quote unquote have to do. And, you know, think about how you feel in them, but also think about the customer's response. Because a lot of times you'll notice when you feel weird, the response isn't great. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so many salespeople get being get accused of being lone wolves, but the sales process was written by someone who's never sold anything and wrote it from behind a desk. <laughs> so so it, it is worth questioning sales processes and bringing up, hey, you know, in the real world, if we were to do it that way, it, it, it's a little weird because of this. So maybe we should think about doing it a different way. Well, I, and he- I've seen so many times like a sales trainer or a marketer designs the process and it's like, well, the people that have been selling this for the last 10 years, let's see how they uh, think we should be doing it. Oh my God. It's so <laughs> irritating when someone who does not talk to the customers comes up with the sales process. Um, but also, uh, I think it's a matter of different personalities. Like your personality worked better having a casual conversation with these people. Everybody's different. So whoever created this process is like a different personality. Like it's like the same thing as some people want to be formal in emails and some people want to be casual. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why not customize it to you? Whatever is a custom tailor fit for you is going to work better. Yeah. What's the greatest sales lesson that you think you've learned over the years? Man, that's kind of a hard one. Um, (laughs) greatest sales lesson. I think it's probably this, uh, this objection thing where it, so, um, it like, it's called hot potato. Mm -hmm. Like they, they're giving you a hot potato, like answer this dance monkey, you know? (laughs) And then you're like, I give it back to you. You ask them a question that uh, answers it further. So like, how do I know this is not a scam? Have you been scammed before? (laughs) You know, like you put it back on them Mm -hmm. instead of sitting there and like working yourself into a hole or like, you know, if they have to talk to a million references, like, you know, is there like, are you having, is there something about the program that feels off to you? Like, like which part? Like, let me understand. So it's like that hot potato thing. Give it back. Don't yeah. take it. Um, well, as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople listening today do as a first step towards getting started on selling more subtly? <laughs> so um, I have a video called the six things you can do to immediately close more business. And it's at aliciabar.com. Okay. Well, we will, we will uh, put that in the show notes below a link to that. Cause that sounds fantastic. Um, so I'm going to try to summarize everything that Alicia's given us today here to the best of my ability. Um, first, when you're, when you're pushy in sales, uh, it makes prospects and customers lose trust in you. So you can try instead Alicia's version of subtle selling so that you can build more trust as you sell. The discovery period is a great time to start subtly selling. Ask questions here to understand your prospects challenges and address ways that your service or your solution can help them. Alicia recommends using authoritative empathy to show that you understand your prospects problems and that you're interested in helping them. You can build rapport by asking your prospects questions that allow them to sell themselves, 
making your prospects feel happy and hopeful after they leave a meeting with you. And you can also use bite-sized selling to help your prospects stay engaged during your pitch and walk away from your call remembering everything important about what you do. Listen closely to how your prospects answer questions so that you can pull out any potential objections that they might have. Then ask questions to follow up on how they're really feeling. Customize each sales conversation that you have with a prospect. Don't feel the need to cover each point that you've prepared. Instead, follow the conversation and include your value along the way. That's that bite-sized selling, you know? So help your prospect get excited about your product and realize that the value that they will gain, and that way you can move the deal towards the close. Finally, if salespeople experience setbacks while they're selling, they can take time to ask questions and understand any objections that maybe didn't come up earlier. Well, this has been awesome, Alicia. Where can listeners read more about your work? How do they learn more about you? How do they reach out to you? Yeah, so I'm on um, all the social platforms, of course. Um, you can always email me, alicia at aliciabar.com. And yeah, checking out the video, I do have emails that go out that are just pure sales value. So you can get something from that. And of course, if you feel like you could sell more effectively, if you're closing under 40%, generally is what I say, give me a call. I'll help you. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, we'll put all that in the show notes. This has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. If you work in field, sale, field sales, then uh, you'll love Badger Maps, which is the number one route planner that helps you sell 20% more and drive 20% less. So you can get a free trial at badgermapping.com today. If anyone can think of any other sales reps that might benefit from learning the skills that Alicia taught us today, share the love and forward this on to them. And take care until next time, everybody.